0: Jason from Friday the 13th, part three. <laughs> Jason puts on the sack mask.
1: Two. Two. Jason puts on the sack mask. Does he have a sack mask in the third one? He does until he gets the hockey mask.
0: Yeah, so shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs>
2: Strange and scary podcast dissecting all things horror and sci fi. Here are your hosts, or what's left of them Tone, John, and Anthony. Enjoy the trivia while you can. Hello and welcome to season 3 episode 22 of the Words for presented podcast Porcelain
0: Peak. This Why'd you grab your titty when you said that?
2: Because that's how it makes me feel. I'm a weirdo.
1: I like those (laughs) words. You know what I'm saying? These are my porcelain peaks. (laughs) I'm very pale. (laughs) Oh, You're going to have to join one of our packages. You can't just get the things piecemeal. Oh, no. Oh,
0: my God. I'm very uncomfortable. Also, if I had known that that's what porcelain peak meant, I never would have agreed to be on the show. That's not what porcelain peak
1: meant. Stay tuned to find out why. You <laughs> don't get hit by the SWAT team or we, fucking snapped by Thanos out of existence. We
0: promise it's not about his tittums.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this week for
2: news, we got some more Zack Snyder stuff. Then we're going to play trivia. Shocker, I know. For our main discussion, we are doing our first trivia redemption. We watched Village of the Damned, The Bard with the Crystal Plumage, and. Nightbreed. Nightbreed. Nightbreed, yes, very excited to talk glad, about glad that. Glad to know it's on the forefront of all of our brains. Yeah, we're going to lose some fans <laughs> real quick. Then, for our final cut, we got a special director series coming at you for the whole month, and uh, let's just say it's coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> like from the movie. <laughs> yeah, directed by that guy. Before we get started, let's check in. Timon Pumbaa, how you guys doing?
1: We all know who's who in this one. There's no fucking arguing about it like last week. Uh. Yeah, I definitely
0: try to avoid standing downwind from John. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm doing well, yeah. I mean, mean, technically, you said Timon and then Pumbaa, so I was waiting for him to jump in. But I'm doing well. I am still getting things adjusted to my liking at the new place, but it's coming together real smooth. Uh, There's probably... A uh, picture or two that might get floated around of me enjoying uh, one of the movies we talk, we're talk we talking about today uh, somewhere on the Instagram, but ooh, uh, yeah, it's it's looking ooh. real nice. I've got some of my, my horror knickknacks and stuff around the uh, main living space, which and, just feels so... And nice. his horror paddy wax. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been
0: sitting here this entire time being like, okay, how can I turn that into a sexual joke? Okay, how can I turn that into a sexual you joke? You can
1: knickknack my paddy wax. Yeah,
0: There we go. <laughs> Nick, yeah. I'm, I'm
1: going to give that dog a bone, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway uh i'm doing great guys i did um a couple nights ago have a pretty rough night blacked out uh woke up and turns out pregnant pregnant yep. no, I was pregnant Pregnant. yeah i was pregnant and
1: uh how does one get pregnant
0: gave, gave it a few hours trying to make up uh some decisions about what i was going to name little internet darling <laughs> and uh, then it just turned out that it was yeah. the Taco Bell I had had the night before. Um, just a demon, <laughs> yeah. It was the uh, village, called- village of the uh, double decker tacos. <laughs> I was it's village of L- the, I was a little village of the crammed. If you know what I'm saying. Toilet humor. We got a great show for you guys.
2: That is true. We do have a great show. So let's get the fucking show started and segue into news.
0: This Justin will tear your. We're looping back to one of our favorite talking points on Porcelain Peak here up at Porcelain Peak where the air is rarefied. And that is Zack Snyder, uh, son of D. D Snyder, <laughs> as we established recently. Good old D's
1: Nut Snyder.
0: <laughs> so, of most, <laughs> most of you may already know that uh, we are getting the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League coming out, what, th- next month? Yeah. This month when you hear this? This month, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, we have all talked about how we've come around to being, uh, you know, vaguely interested, somewhat excited in this. Um, which one? Th- <laughs> yeah, which one? Which one? The trailer for this, the new trailer for this, dropped with a lot more new tidbits of information for us. I think it's funny because what everybody is the most hyped about, I think, is Jared Leto returning as the Joker at the bum, end of the trailer. Bum, Ooh, uh, so quoting a very, a very common line that rose to prominence with... Uh, uh jacking porno's joker <laughs> <laughs> uh which was we live in a society uh he says which was just a joke we live in a society and he says that in the trailer so um have so you guys true. have you guys seen yeah i know so true have you guys seen the trailer
2: i've not but i saw the picture you sent of jared leto not all tattooed and like i like got that those better either covered
0: up or removed well in prison he, they
2: don't allow the tattoo so they had to put makeup on yeah i couldn't get yeah. that job
0: <laughs> no it's just it's it's movie magic you can just retcon your tattoos now just like up oh, no those never existed <laughs> but I think it's funny that everybody still from what I can hear uh, does not really like Jared Leto very much He's been doing a lot during the his press for the little things talking about how uh, he did not do all the crazy shit on suicide squad that people say he mm-hmm. says that he actually bought Margot Robbie so, like her favorite cinnamon buns all the time um, don't know how much of that is true uh, but uh, at the same time I did hear an interview saying that Denzel Washington, uh, was having none of that method acting shit on set, and he uh, said that if Leto had or Malik had tried any of that on set, uh, it's bullshit, and they would have had some words. <laughs> uh, so good for Denzel. Yeah,
1: I would. I would not want to have words with Denzel unless they were like words of praise.
0: Yeah, I cannot imagine being in the same room with like like Denzel having to put up with Rami Malik and Jared Leto, two guys who think they are the best fucking actors so of their be, generation, just being
1: the most fucking millennial as humanly possible. He's like. I got time for this shit. I
0: ain't got time for these zoomers. Anyway,
1: Zack Snyder. <laughs> uh, tra- did, did you see the show? No, I've not. Okay. <laughs> to answer I've your seen, original seen, question, yeah, I've seen all of the all of the pictures of Jared Leto, including the the one with him uh, looking like Jesus Christ, which is The superstar, or uh, or or that one, <laughs> like <laughs> the, the one with the crown of thorns and shit.
0: Oh, weird. The biblical one, yeah. Um, if you've seen those, then that's really all you got to see from this trailer. I think I commented that it's a little bit strange that they keep showing. Uh, no,
1: strange is in the MCU. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. You got me. Um, it's the, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Sniped. It's the, uh, <laughs> it's the whole like uh, aspect ratio that they keep showing these trailers in. They have them in the old TV box format, and I keep wondering: is that just because of the effects? on those shots are not done yet except for in that they they were just like okay we need to release trailers, so just do the effects in that aspect oh ratio. wandavision
1: just dropped let's drop those in wandavision's original aspect <laughs> ratio from the first episode
0: what if what if this entire thing was just wandavision was just a lead into zack snyder's snyder cut it turned out that it was a big dc marvel merger
1: that's who's controlling so they the we'll know wandavision if, universe is zack snyder yeah got, we'll, we'll know if we see ben affleck in the, ne- in the next episode of wandavision
0: plank playing <laughs> His daredevil and his Batman. You got your chocolate and my peanut butter. So uh, the other Zack Snyder related thing that ties into our final cut um, and our discussion of Night of the Living Dead last week was Zack Snyder's upcoming uh, zombie movie, Army of the Dead. Uh, This movie.
2: Coming to Netflix, Coming to Netflix,
0: yes. Uh, this, This will be landing on your streaming platform boxes on May the 21st. Uh, some new images have come out. The basic premise, I guess, is that a mercenary group in Las Vegas, post-apocalypse, zombie apocalypse, have to uh, uh, blast some zombies away with, uh, I'm sure, big guns. And It's supposed to be a comedy, I thought, or no? I think it's supposed to be a blend that, that, according to Zack Snyder, who I didn't even put two and two together earlier, uh, did Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So uh, honestly, already has, I would assume, some sort of liking for the romero movies um he said that this movie is going to tie a lot into the established romero kind of zombies while also taking its own spin i hope that doesn't mean something like oh they run now
2: they're flying now they fly now
0: now. (laughs) now. (laughs) (laughs) go listen to our star wars episodes Yeah, so um, how, do you, how do you guys feel about this uh, being a Netflix thing? Zack Snyder, it seems like he's got a lot going on.
2: I was looking through Snyder's catalog the other day because I feel like I hate on him a lot, and I feel like the only thing that I really don't like is Sucker Punch. I th- everything else is decent. I mean, he did 300, and that was talk of the town forever.
1: I mean, who didn't say this is Sparta?
0: I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's true.
1: There was a band. There was a band Sparta? That, no, no no no, <laughs> I, no, no. no, no, no. There, there was a band that, like, what, like one of their, like, breakdowns or something started uh, with This is Sparta. Sparta. Womp, womp. Yeah. It was probably a dubstep thing. Um, <laughs> bang ring.
2: Yeah, I mean, even that owl movie he did was tight.
0: <clears> oh, <throat> uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> or whatever? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> no. So, <laughs> if you speak that into existence, I will fucking quit. <laughs> You're telling me you wouldn't watch Guardians of the Galaxy if they were all owls? No, a, no, and B, with yes, Zack Snyder at the helm? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I'd call you a fucking <laughs> <is> liar. Awful. <laughs> anyway, that's all I had for news. Um, I think that Zack Snyder has a lot on his plate right now, and it's cool to see him making a little bit of a comeback. I was commenting with, I think, either just John or with both of you. It's very strange that a few years ago, everybody was clamoring with excitement because Joss Whedon took over Justice League, and now in a few short years... Zack Snyder is suddenly everybody's...
1: His star is risen. Yeah, again. his star is risen.
0: He's suddenly everybody's darling. And Joss Whedon has a bunch of hit pieces on YouTube and, and online about how he's a, a predator and assaulter and a terrible dude. So So, so what I was going to say is I think Donald of the Dead
2: was good, as far as re- especially as far as remakes go. Yeah. I thought it was decent and it was different it it did, enough that, yeah, that I did liked it and to it pushed it,
1: it. Yeah, it took, a, it took a different turn.
2: But a lot of people cite that and 28 Days as like the the runner's beginning and people you know there's that giant debate about walkers or runners and so that is on people's shit list because of that
0: yeah i think that conversation is long dead yeah pun intended i guess um <laughs> because at this point it's like there there's so many versions of zombies who gives a fuck who just do a good zombie a movie oh and also just a little bit of news to make you angry leave you on an angered note i sent you guys the article saying that an american remake of train to busan is in the works. Um, So we can all go ahead and end the show now. I mean, it can't
2: be worse than Peninsula, right? (laughs) You say say that now. I guess we'll find out. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for news. We'll go ahead and move into
0: trivia. I've had it with these motherfucking zombies on this motherfucking train. On this Monday to Friday. (laughs) I have
1: come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum.
2: This week, I have decided to do Slash Cards, not just because it's basically all we have left, <laughs> but because the next game that we have out is sheer desperation. <laughs> very small, so how Slash Cards works, there are five categories. I will read a category, then we will go in a circle, me reading John, John reading
1: Anthony, and Anthony back to me. Got it? I do got it. You're
0: supposed to say get it, and I say
1: good. Are we skipping my, my bit?
0: Oh, shit. No, go ahead. No, um put another song on the Spotify queue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's real new. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm hoping we get bought out.
1: <laughs> Your trivia tune this week is. Triv 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 trivia, trivia trivia. Redbone. It is indeed Redbone.
0: Uh, I just posted that on my Instagram. They said breadbone. No, bread I don't bone. know what that is, but is. No, I, hope I never find out. Um, Garson, Garcon, can I get the breadbone? <laughs> <laughs>
2: like a wishbone but all your worst nightmares come true (laughs) okay john the first category is category x you need to name five horror movies Five. that's a tough one dude that take place on holidays (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'll give you mental bonus points
1: if you can name five different holidays Uh, i was intending to try so
0: you will try
1: (laughs) i'm gonna do halloween yep on the card My Bloody Valentine. On the card. Black Christmas. On the card. I think I'm going to fail on my choosing five different holidays option. Okay. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and say Santa Jaws. Okay. Would Rare Exports work? Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. The other couple on the card were Mother's Day and Silent Night Deadly Night. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't think this is the name of the movie. I was thinking of the the uh, Hanukkah one. I was, but it, it, the, he's called the Hanukkah killer. But I don't think it's the name of the movie. The movie's called Hanukkah. Oh, it's just Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what uh, I was. I, then, I was
0: sitting here like, um, what's that ooh. movie where the kids babysitter Is like part of a cult?
1: <laughs> the babysitter. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the other the other one I was thinking of was uh, Leprechaun, but I don't think it actually takes place on St. Patty's.
0: You were like, uh, you, you heard the question. And you were like, fuck, I just became a Jehovah's Witness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't celebrate any of those things. <laughs> Either way, on the board. Good job, sir. Toit. Birds. Bart. Anthony, name five horror movies from the 1970s.
0: Last House on the Left. That'll do. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: Indeed. Good. That's 74. For sure. That yeah. one I know.
0: Two for two. I need five, huh? Yep. Would you count Alien?
1: Like, Alien is on the card. Nice.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I, I totally didn't look at the bookshelf. Um, <laughs> did The Exorcist come out in the seventies?
1: I believe it did, but it, might be, the, it might be the sixties. Seventy-three. All right, we're, still we're good. good. We're good. That's four. Mother- Need one more. Motherfucker. Halloween. Halloween is on the card. Nice. I, I was gonna say there's one specific one on the card that if you don't say it, you're gonna fucking kick yourself instead. horror junkie
0: 103178.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other remaining ones on the card you did not get were Jaws, mm. Knight of the Lepus. Mm. Let's scare Jessica. Lepus,
0: you uncultured swine. To, whatever.
1: <laughs> let's scare Jessica to death, and then obviously Alien was the other one. That That's why i hella rude.
0: <laughs> Seriously, bro. Uh, Good yeah. job, buddy. Thank you. That was nerve wracking.
1: Let's. Just, hope, let's hope, I don't get a fiver.
0: Tone, name five horror movies.
2: For real? <laughs> yeah. balls.
0: That begin with the letter C. C? Yeah, C as in... Um, season. <laughs> C as in season. <laughs> Cloverfield? Cool. Cat people? Yeah, yeah, that's on the card.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, great. Creep? Yeah. That'll do, that'll do, that'll do.
0: Christmas Evil.
1: Ooh. Mm,
0: That's four, right? Mm
1: -hmm. That's four, Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Crimson Peak. Ooh. Ooh. Fucking nailed it. But you could have gotten Christine, baby. Mm.
0: Ooh, I'm sorry. Crimson Peak is actually a gothic romance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Carrie as well. Yeah, you know how it is. When you're on the spot, it's tough. I was just on the spot a few moments ago, and it was just as tough.
2: Well, we are all on the board, and we're going to move into behind the scenes. John. Tell me this. Who directed the Amityville Horror from 1979?
1: Oh, that's a big yikes because I don't know who this is. Let's um, be
0: confused with your favorite film, the Amityville Horror.
1: You want some?
0: I'm covered in flies. <laughs> oh, I'm going to make you shoot out some
2: ectoplasm.
1: <laughs> so, 79, could be, it could be anybody at this point uh there's ghosts everywhere <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think it's any of like the big
0: he's just thinking about ryan reynolds shirtless in the remake and don't worry i am too
1: <laughs> i don't th- this is not right but i'm gonna say brian de palma it is Stuart rosenberg yeah i didn't have that no fucking way i don't know if i've ever heard that even
0: yeah so that combination of names doesn't ring a bell
1: bummer anthony name the artist or group that composed the score for Hellraiser from 1987
0: of course we get a Clive Barker question I'm going to go with my, uh, my go to answer which is Tangerine Dream
1: <laughs> it is not Tangerine Dream might as well call it old because it's from 87 but uh, it is uh, Christopher Young
0: what <laughs> <laughs> alrighty then Tone riddle me this before he made Hostel. <laughs> before he was in, employed with the Hostel Cupcake Company. Uh, before he made Hostel from 2005, Eli Roth directed and co wrote. director. What film about a flesh eating virus?
2: Cabin Fever. I almost said Cabin in the Woods. My cabin favorite. in the Woods fever.
0: <laughs> My favorite song from uh, Muppet's Treasure Island. Cabin Fever? Yeah. Cabin Fever song?
1: Never. cabin in the fever woods is that that'd be like a crossover between cabin yeah. in the woods uh cabin fever and uh and werewolf fever swamp <laughs>
0: yeah because everybody's clamoring for exactly that john
1: <laughs> i just
2: was thinking muppets getting there like felt eaten away i'd watch that shit anyway that puts me in the lead and we're moving into and all, hurry, uh, what's Gen- it? general trivia <laughs> In what year, John? Reporting for duty. In what year, John, was Bride of Frankenstein released?
1: Nineteen forty. Still good.
2: I can't no. tell you that.
1: No, um, it's, so it's at thirty-nine. It is thirty-five. Nineteen thirty-five. Oh. Wow, I'm—I have my whole timeline shifted then, because I was thinking that that around then was when the first one came. Yeah, out? when good old Frankenstein came out.
0: Yeah. No, you were mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> 35. You guys are about to be 35.
2: <laughs> Easy.
1: <laughs> Anthony, what 1964 Japanese horror film consists of four separate vignettes, one for each of the seasons?
0: Uh, four seasons.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> <At> a funeral. <laughs> uh, it a uh, Qui-Don.
0: Oh, I've been meaning to watch that. It keeps popping up on my suggested tone.
1: <laughs> yes, sir.
0: The Annabelle doll from The Conjuring from 2013 was based on the actual case of a purportedly haunted doll the Warrens kept locked in a display. This is a long ass question. Haunted doll, stop, the Warrens kept locked in a basement case, stop, in their paranormal museum. What brand of doll is the real Annabelle? Raggedy Annie. It's
1: Raggedy Ann close enough, I'll give oh. it to you. <laughs> You got you, it. You, you mixed the two. You mixed Rag- Andy? Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then they decided to make it just like it. Like who, who in their right mind would ever have owned the the actual the animal bell doll from the movies? Like who would have looked at that and thought, "I want that. <laughs> I want that." All right. Well,
2: then we're gonna move into characters and actors me with me in the two lead. ahead.
1: Yeah. So yeah, the we one of us has to get this right, or it's already over.
2: John Patricia Arquette played a woman afflicted with religious wounds in what 1999 film? Is that going to be Stigmata?
1: That is correct, sir. Yeah. Nice, hey doggy. Anthony Peter Fonda starred in what 1967 Roger Corman film about LSD? Is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to say visions.
1: You're like you don't realize how close you are. It is the trip.
0: <laughs> Never heard of it. I'm a straight edge boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm out. I've let down uh my family <laughs> you, you and country. You've dishonored you put dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> <laughs> Not on my cow. Tone.
0: Josh Hartnett played Eben Olsen.
1: Fucking goddamn it!
0: In what 2007 vampire film? Thirty Days of Night. Ooh, good job! From what <laughs> year? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that gives you the win. And on a Josh
2: heartthrob question, nonetheless. Is that? Hey, is that a bone comb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Is that? Uh, a tone's bone comb? Is that fourth week in a row? It sure Four, is. Third week in a row. Fourth,
2: fourth week. Fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's finish her off.
0: Just see like a uh, just see like a red dot come through the window
2: (laughs) slash cards like quit it (laughs) all right john here's your question for plot and setting reporting for duty the dead zone the dead zone (laughs) takes place in what fictional new england town
1: there's like a town that like they always use but it's not dairy but i'm gonna say it's dairy because i can't think of anything else it is castle rock yeah At this point, it was already too far gone anyway. Guess he couldn't castle rocket. Yep. (laughs) Anthony, in something that's going to make all of us laugh, probably a young boy suspected of murder insists the killer is his new good guy doll, which may or may not be possessed by the soul of a serial killer in this 1988 film. And who is the serial killer?
2: Here's what happened with this fucking game. Is there like, anytime you get to a card, you can't
1: think of a fifth question. Just throw in a Chucky question.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fucking child's play, bro. It
1: is indeed child's play. Who's the who's the serial killer? <laughs> Charles Lee Ray.
0: Child's play, directed by Tom Holland, <laughs> starring that chick from Seventh Heaven. Seventh
1: Heaven. <laughs> Nailed it on all accounts, all kinds.
0: So that's bonus points, Wr- right? Written by
1: Don Mancini, Cini, Beanie. <laughs>
0: whoa okay, uh cancelled hashtag and uh <laughs> that
1: was I was thinking b i n i
0: I'm sure you were, and uh so that gives me three bonus points, so we're now
2: yeah, you get three points to bonus <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, thank you then tone for your final question, like anybody cares in what u s state does the majority of the dissent from two thousand five take place
2: well they're- underground so it's it uh, doesn't cross state
0: It's
1: You're like, you're like it's uh, it's Chud. Uh, Montana. <laughs> the know. government
0: don't own the underground. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Montana. Ooh, sorry. It's North Carolina. Well, there you go. Good had it, dude. Isn't that where the uh, no. Mount, Mount Rushmore is? I don't
2: know. Well, that is the fourth week straight for me. What's the Ooh, record?
0: Uh, I don't know if straight's the right word. <laughs> <laughs> In Trivia. Okay, thanks for the clarification. Yeah, yeah. let's
2: get that straight.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would congratulate you, but now at this point I'm just filled with a an intense desire for vengeance. <laughs> Rage. Right.
2: This is the best i ever done. Anyway, that will wrap it up for News and Trivia. If you want to hear News and Trivia every week, then hit that subscribe button. And if you want even more content, then head over to patreon.com slash porcelainpeak. John, what are they going to get when they go over there? They're
1: going to get hours of content. The ability to get some some cool cool perks like uh, like mugs, stickers, shirts, stickers you name it. You don't necessarily get it. It's the things that are on the website. But (laughs) um, speaking of which, we have a new patron who's joining the fold—a porcelain peak fold.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who this person. Who's this,
2: Mr. Jeff Rogers?
0: Beautiful day in the neighborhood.
2: Yep. Shout out, old Captain Rogers. <laughs> thank you for being our newest patron.
0: Yeah, thank you for uh, caring enough to give your hard-earned cash-o-change-o to us. We love that hot, sweat, dirty money um, <laughs> that all of you guys send us every month. Uh, weird that it comes in an unmarked envelope uh, put under the, the secret rock in the front yard, but... <laughs>
1: Yeah, the, the we last, appreciate it nonetheless. Yeah, the uh, the last package drop was uh was covered in blood and some other substance, so I don't I don't want to touch it. Semen. Yes, yeah, c- <laughs> seaman. C- c- not, not mixed together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. We very much appreciate it.
0: Yeah, patreon.com porcelain peak for hours of bonus content.
2: That being said, we'll go ahead and move into our main discussion. This week, our first trivia redemption. What does that mean? Let me tell you.
0: No, let me tell you. Let
2: me. No, I'm telling you. (laughs) What about me?
1: No one wants to tell me. No, no, no. no.
0: It's
2: (laughs) it's trivia related. (laughs) You
0: you, you can't be
1: saved, Joe. You don't get redemption. Hey, I've won trivia before. What? I was the first person to sweep a card. It was a shitty fucking Stranger Things card.
0: (laughs) Don't say bring up the tapes. Ain't nobody got time for that. So. These are movies that we had
2: as trivia questions and failed. Several, several trivia questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're they're movies that we collectively agreed we had no concept of or didn't know existed or just hadn't seen. Uh, so we decided that we needed to better educate ourselves because we like to see ourselves as educated folks.
2: All right, and Nightbreed was requested from one of our <laughs> listeners as well so we figured hey let's t- kill two crystal birds with one stone with one plumage stone <laughs> with one plumage stone so again we watched village of the damned the original and anthony the remake as well yeah i did and, the
0: uh, extra work this time right you're and, welcome
2: and then we watched the bird with the crystal plumage by Dario argento his first movie and then we watched clive barker written and directed night breeze so the first one we're going to talk about is the original Village of the Damned.
0: Directed by Wolf Rilla, which is the coolest name.
1: The Rilla. The Skrilla.
2: This one came out in 1960 and, like Anthony said, was directed by Wolf Rilla. That is pretty cool. I'm going to name my kid Wolf.
1: Come here, little Wolf. Wolf per- <laughs> Wolf Perez. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, so basically, what this is is a town mysteriously falls asleep, and then when they wake up, some of the women are—or is it some of them are all
1: of them? All of the women who were capable of bearing a child were pregnant. <laughs> pregnant. That's how you
0: pronounce that. Yeah. Um, Thank you. They're all. Uh, What's the green books. Uh, They—they've all got a bun in the oven after this big blackout, and. Uh, that reminded me a lot of another property that we've talked about extensively on the show, which is Umbrella Academy. So, sounds like that's probably where the oh. inspiration for Umbrella Academy's mass pregnancy weird thing came from.
1: We know that uh, Gerard Way likes to wear his influences on his sleeve. That would definitely be something that, that would fit that mold.
0: Yeah, for some reason, I was thinking uh, Gerard Butler, who also likes to wear his influences on his sleeve. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If he's wearing sleeves. If he's wearing <laughs> yeah. sleeves. That's if why he's never wearing sleeves. Yeah. No influences, Gerard Butler. So You take then... the sleeves off
0: of that? My influences are showing.
2: <laughs> so I, I feel like the kids are... They're accelerated pregnancies, right? Yes. And, yeah, and then they're all born on the same day. And the kids are extremely intelligent. They're all platinum blonde. And sometimes they have glowing eyes.
0: Yeah, they all look like 90s, 90s pop singers. <laughs>
1: got a, or, a, or current day... Um, like. Korean boy band singers yeah <laughs> so the, that's the basic premise of this movie these
2: kids seem to have some kind of mind control and they have what, what could only be described as a hive mind so if one knows something then they all know something and they eventually develop telekinesis right no no tele telepathy telepathy Yeah. yeah. telepathy telepathy <laughs> and can read minds and they just start to fuck shit up and people want to kill them and it's kind of fucked up, but they're kind of fucked up. So it's like, well, OK, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I enjoyed the movie because it seemed to be the birthplace of a lot of these kind of tropes that you see. in, like I mentioned Umbrella Academy, but the idea of one, the mysterious the town where something mysterious happens obviously felt very, very Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of. What was coming out around that time felt like an H.P. Lovecraft novel, which I know that the movie was based on a novel called The Midwich Cuckoos, which I was debating the entire time I was watching this, whether I thought The Midwich Cuckoos was a cooler name or if Village of the Damned was a cooler name. I think they Um, both are
1: pretty, pretty
2: tight. I like Village of the Damned.
0: Yeah. um, The original author, John Wyndham, who I I just read his full name was. This is some Dumbledore shit. John Wyndham Parks Lucas Bainan Harris. the Brian? Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Percival. Nerds. Yeah. So that's what this felt like. It felt very much like a short story that had been adapted into what I thought was maybe a little bit overlong of a story for how much material they had to work with. Because the story is relatively simple. You find out that the kids are somehow implanted from some sort of alien signal. Of Some sort it's left pretty vague, but the idea is that the kids are trying to, I guess, at first learn about the planet, they assimilate, do and yeah, then and they, they do that through the school teacher scenes where he's trying to teach them, but everybody's just getting really frustrated that they're not acting like uh average, ordinary American children. Umans, uh, they comment on the fact that this is happening all over the world, so this is this leads us to think, which I kind of liked that. It's, a, it's an invasion all over the world, but it's done in obviously a different way than you expect an alien invasion, and you don't get to see the other places. They just mention, you know, like I had talked to you guys previously with the updated lines. They said in uh, Eskimo Village, this happened, and because all of the kids were platinum, blonde, and white, they were all killed immediately. Um, that's updated to be an Inuit village and the kids don't get brutally murdered, but uh, <laughs> except in a giant fucking school, uh, schoolhouse explosion. But
1: <laughs> that's that's some real fucked up uh, um, schoolhouse rock shit. <laughs> yeah. schoolhouse explosion.
0: I'm just. A <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So we we find out that these kids have a plan for just being fucking creepy, I guess. Just being creepy kids. Are they trying to take over the world? Who
1: knows, Who knows, baby?
0: Yeah, but everybody's afraid of them and doesn't want them around. So we get the uh, the hive mind idea, which is a classic, classic trope. Um, I'm sure this wasn't the original place where it came from. But it has to
1: be pretty early in that.
0: From the book, yeah, if it's from the book. And then uh, we get the idea of the, the the classic creepy kid, which we've seen done so many times in things like The Omen and Children, the children of, the of the Corn has a very, very similar kind of hive mind, creepy children. Uh, I thought they were cute yeah the main
2: actor he's he's i'm um, yeah he does some creepy shit but for the most part and his performance is
0: great i was wondering about the kids if they were dubbed by they adult 100% actors. were dubbed by adult actors. yeah that's what i thought uh, to okay. make them especially creepy and it was off-putting and i was wondering how much of that was like a the kids couldn't deliver the lines or how much of that was obviously to make it creepy in the movie mm-hmm. and uh I didn't look into it. So I guess something I'll have to look into.
2: <laughs> I think yeah. it succeeded in that creepiness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I, I loved seeing the old style effect of how they did the eyes where they would just freeze the actual frame. So you can definitely tell that it's just a picture, but then and they, they would have the light lights. shine through. Yeah. Where the eyes were. It's fun to see that kind of old school effects work. But yeah, this ends pretty much like in a, uh, a classic. We can't, we're not going to save the kids. We're not going to find a way to redeem them. They're aliens. So we got to kill them.
1: Even though they try on several occasions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they end up, uh, the doctor guy lures them or gets them all into the schoolhouse, and then he does the, and I've seen this done a bunch of times too, where it's like the think of a wall or something to block your mind. Like, you always wonder if somebody could read your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if somebody could read your mind, what would you do? Like, what would you think of to try to block them out? And then this, he thinks of a brick wall, and they can't get into his brain, and he... At
1: least until it's too late.
0: Yeah, and then he waits out until they blow up the schoolhouse.
2: Yeah, and the kids are pretty fucked up. I mean, they we get to see them kill a few people. I, mm-hmm. I mean, say at least like three or four. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and then
1: there's also implications that they've killed others, but that no one was present or a witness to.
2: Yeah. So it brings up that debate: like, are you going to kill these kids because they're evil? Or are you going to try to fucking those fucking
1: youths with their with their goddamn laser beams? <laughs> or are you
2: going to try to save them? And and in the end, it's they're too powerful and they become too strong and they become too vindictive. And so the choice is to destroy them. But then, to me, the ending felt a little vague because we get this explosion, right? And then at the very end, you get sets of glowing eyes floating through the atmosphere. So it left me to wonder uh, if it, they somehow survived in some form or another.
0: Yeah, it was very um, Voldemort at the end of Sorcerer's Stone. Is there he, like, is there a, a sequel ghost. to this? The Village of the Darn. <laughs>
1: and there, there, there's a movie called Children of the Damned. I don't know if it has any... I'm going to do a little research on that but while i'm doing that maybe uh, have a little freeform thought about how uh, maybe i uh, turn that flashlight off you like <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah so i do think that there are obvious themes that are are sprinkled throughout the movie the obvious like the main one right off the kids, bat is kids is, suck. is religion uh in you know with the immaculate <laughs> conception yeah. and with, oh, jeez. when also the um like having like Powers That are outside of what a human would typically have and having influence being killed because oh, of that influence point. I mean like there are a lot of ties to the Bible and right I think in
2: that. the Remake they reference the book of Job a lot, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, and they very much Obviously make it so that the alien characters the kids look radically different from everybody else in the town so there's obviously you can draw, draw any number of parallels to the you know the uh, The other being like the outsider and how originally the before they start killing people with their powers the main problem is just that they can't feel the same empathy and emotions, or at least it's they're not understood on the same level that everybody else in the town does. So the people kind of shun them just for that. And then they start kind of retaliating by attacking the people and stuff. And so I think that's it's interesting because then you start to think, OK, who is the subjugated group here and who is the colonizing group? Uh, is it and it kind of gets flipped on its head because you think, oh, the the people at first are the colonizing group or whatever, and these kids are kind of the innocents, but then you realize, no, they may be this invading species who is actually the group, the colonizing group, them being all stark white. I mean, you can draw a lot of parallels to that.
2: I didn't think about that. That's a good point too. It brought to my mind kind of like with Frankenstein, where if people would have just accepted them and loved them. Would that have happened? Would they have gone evil and started killing people because they don't start doing that kind of stuff until people start attacking them. It's like a retaliation, you know?
0: Yeah. I think the movie does enough uh, in this version. It does enough to kind of leave that a little bit vague as to what the intentions of these aliens are. The remake does a lot more to drive it home that, Their plan is kind of like to take over the world or uh, they have some nefarious intention, which makes you feel a lot less sympathy for them when they get exploded.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just uh, my research, I did find that there is a movie called Children of the Damned and it is in some way, shape or form a sequel. Um, So the plot of that movie is six impossibly intelligent children from all over the world with dangerous psychic powers hide in a church in England after the military tries to experiment on them. So it is it, like the cover has uh children with blonde hair and glowing eyes uh same huh. as same as this one does and um, it does seem like in some of the some of like the trivia that's listed on IMDb that it's named after that first movie and that it's supposed to be a sequel to the book story and not the story of the previous movie. That's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, but oh, it is it, it is a, a, essentially a spiritual successor in that it carries the same same title style and that it seems like what they're what they're saying is is that all of the different instances all around the world where these children were all born to mothers who weren't expecting that one survived from each colony and made their way together.
2: And I think we get some of that experimentation idea in the remake with Christy Alley's character wanting to... Offer these people money to look at these kids. Um, what I liked about this original one is it just throws you in. So this movie just goes. Mm-hmm. As soon as as soon as soon you turn it on, it's just like, here's what's happening. Everyone's asleep. Now they're pregnant. Now these kids are here. Now they're attacking. It's very quick. It's only 77 minutes. Quick watch. And it feels quick. Um, I know you said that you could have used a little bit less. And I would say maybe like 10 minutes tops. But maybe they have. there's a certain mark you have to get right to, to yeah. get that whole like, yeah. movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I definitely felt like this. I don't know how much detail was removed or added from the book and I don't know how long the book is That's something I'd have to look into. But this felt like there just wasn't enough material to stretch it out quite as long. And I would have appreciated it more, I think, as like a 30 minute. Outer Limits episode or something. Um
2: Or like a two parter or something, yeah. You know? Well
0: yeah, and, and it's because I think a lot too of the way it just throws you into things that reminds me a lot of like how a Twilight Zone episode doesn't waste a lot of time kind of throwing you into what that episode's gimmick is or what the idea is because or they only like have the Living Dead. Yeah, they only have a few, you know a limited amount of time to get to that point and here it's it's kind of a catch-22 because they in, in some ways i wanted more out of parts of this that i did get in the remake like more fleshing out of some of the ideas and then in other parts i wanted it to just just get through it like just get to the point you know which is whether they're going to blow up these kids or not and there's
2: nobody really for you to latch onto in this one
0: yeah and that's that's a difference too is that it the remake does a little bit better job of having likable characters who you actually sympathize with and adds a few more interpersonal things between characters to make them more characters. And this is, they just feel like just general stereotypes you would see in any 60s serialized sci-fi thing where it's like the school teacher who's very like dashing and heroic and the, you know, the police officer. And, the, well, and then right.
1: there's the family with the husband returning home from war, like that sort of stuff. I mean, there's a, there are a bunch of different like tropes characters in this
0: yeah do we want to talk a little bit about the remake then yeah i can talk about things that i um think it did better and things that i think it didn't do as well
2: this one's by john carpenter mm-hmm. yeah um who apparently reported that it was not something that he wanted to do but he was contractually obligated so he didn't have a lot of passion for it this one stars christopher reeves christy alley and mark hamill which was all very strange to see this is reeves last film before his accident
0: oh yeah i was and it- he is uh
2: Handsome, handsome man. Oh, He, like, is, Jesus a, he Christ, is a man. brick
0: shit house. Yeah, yeah I was uh, definitely fawning over, over him. He's my yeah. Superman. I went into this having completely forgotten who was in the cast. And so when Christopher Reeve showed up, my first thought whenever Christopher Reeve shows up in anything is, "Oh, I get really sad because <laughs> I just think about, because I read his autobiography when I was a kid. And I just think about all the shit he said about his accident and what happened after that. But
1: what his career could have been had he been exactly, continued going. Exactly,
0: on. yeah. And I do really like, I did like him a lot in this movie because I felt like he added a lot to that kind of uh, school teacher character where that's not his entire bit. He's, he's more the main focus of this movie, and you actually have a protagonist to kind of follow. And then Kirstie uh, Alley is Kirstie Alley. I, I'm not a big fan of her from Cheers on. <laughs> I know a lot of people feel differently, but I think she just she serves the purpose as the uh, vaguely bad guy in the movie. And then Mark Hamill is just fun because it's Mark Hamill playing the a, a gun-toting priest. Yeah, uh, Things that I really liked that this movie did is that it did add it fleshed out a lot of that earlier stuff that's set up in the movie about how the revelation that these women are all becoming pregnant kind of plays out a little bit slower instead of just hard cutting to oh there's five months uh, pregnant how can that be and then you just realize that everybody had kids in this it's more slow reveals through pregnancy tests and then like Christopher Reeve finds out the woman he's with has a child a lot more character development well and they establish things that they establish more of it being a mystery and that they have the man who came home from war and he like leaves his wife because he thinks that she cheated on him so you get a little bit of that you get the they even have a uh lesbian couple in one of the scenes at like the practice for the pregnancy and it's establishing like hey these pregnancies are happening to everyone including the people that it physically is impossible for so i liked stuff like that where it kind of leaned more into the sci-fi stuff that I was looking for, like the actual nuts and bolts of what's going on. um, And then also expanded more on the people's kind of emotional struggle with these kids, especially with the main female lead, her son, uh, I believe David, they shorten the whole like puzzle block thing and make him more of the focus and have him actually be one of the alien kids to actually start to learn about human emotion and learn about empathy. And so he becomes the redeemable character that you can sympathize with out of those kids, which I think does add, a little bit more to the ending because he's a character that doesn't get blown up. Oh, <laughs> you know, I think you'd so. finish it. Yeah. So, no.
2: so why do you think that the original one is fairly well received and liked versus the Carpenter one that is pretty unanimously disliked?
0: The original one does a lot better job of just being straight up creepy. Okay, And um, for that time I think that the movie would have really shocked People Mm -hmm. and if we weren't so jaded By having seen the creepy kid trope And the alien invasion Trope so many times already This would have worked a lot more for me, I mean, and I appreciate it on that level of going. I love that it's simple. I love that it's shot really well. I think the acting is great in the original. The
1: effects work for it being that old is is also is, uh, impressive. Yeah. Like them crashing the plane and, yeah, and the, the techniques.
0: Yeah, and the concept is really good. It's really solid. That's why I think it it's a really good idea to go from seeing the original. And if you really enjoyed the original, watch Carpenters. And I think it adds a lot because you already know the bare bones story. And you just get, get to see how he adds a little bit of his flair to it um, a little bit more style a lot of events that happen just because this film was made decades later it's just more spectacular like gunfights are more spectacular there's more just things exploding you know it feels more like a carpenter movie which if you appreciate carpenter movies and you liked that original version
1: imagine if kurt russell had been (laughs) had been the the school teacher
0: (laughs) hey i totally could have seen it but it was nice midwitch it was nice to see all of these kind of um i don't know i I guess i would say like b-list actors playing leads in the remake so the things that i think it didn't do as well as yet wasn't as straight and to the point and if you're looking for just a short digestible creepy movie i don't think this one does the creep factor nearly as well and it does kind of go a little bit overboard with explaining the sci-fi stuff it shows some things to you that the original leaves more vague and so i think really if it's a it's what you're in the mood for
1: it's catch 22
0: yeah so what i ended up doing i rated them both the same which I don't know if we want to get into that. Uh, I'd I say
1: we're going we're gonna to rate them. Yeah, yeah, I, I already... Oh,
0: well, I mean, I don't know if we're going to rate both because you guys haven't seen them, but...
1: I mean, you can give your rating. It's not going to hurt anything. I was going to see if you had anything else that you wanted to say about either of these ones. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen the remake. Um, I've only seen the original now, which I felt like it moved by at a clip. It was you know it was uh, entertaining. I, I felt like it did a lot for how early it would have been on. I mean, and it, it falls into that pitfall that we typically get from those things where... We've seen so many movies. I mean, just since you started keeping track, you've seen 800 movies in the last like two years. 842, motherfucker. Like, I mean, and, and you know, while, while that seems like a very large, ridiculous number, we've seen fairly close to that. I would say within a few hundred. Um, you know, we've watched a lot of films and we've seen a lot of the uh, spindles that come off of this movie specifically because it's an early movie and it does a lot of the tropes. For what, what we would have to assume at this point are some of the first times they've been done. And looking at it as it's as it's an influence piece, it excels at that. Like, is it a, for being a first time out attempting some of these things and doing some really cool effects work and having you know like creepy atmosphere that I was really able to kind of bite down on? I really, really had a good time with it.
0: I'm just wondering what the fuck a spindle is.
1: <laughs> it's like a tentacle.
0: Okay, <laughs> spindles. I got two of those. <laughs> I thought you were uh, mixing spindle and tendril,
2: probably. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I guess uh, let's go ahead and rate it out of uh, five puzzle boxes that don't take you to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I will say A4. I really like this movie. It's fast. I would watch it again right now. I thought it was very enjoyable. Do as far it. As, I fucking dare you. I'm doing a show. <laughs> as far as like classic black and white movies, it jumped up to the top of the list. I, I think I told you guys, top five for me of classics. I really liked it, and I think that it was well-made, and... I thought the performances were good and I like kind of getting thrown in. And you mentioned off mic that no wonder I liked it because it's just basically a
1: long twilight zone episode. It's like, yeah, I'm fucking on brand. I like what I like, you know what I'm saying? What about you guys? Yeah. I'm going to say that I'm also at a four. Uh, You know, it's something where I feel like uh, another rewatch, like, and I could, I could really pick it apart. And I, I mean, I could go one way or the other, but I do think that either way, it's a really good movie, especially as a classic film. And I think that it is something that if you haven't seen it, you should rectify that now. Rectify.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I am a little bit lower on this, but I think it's one of those things that could change with a, a rewatch, um, especially of the original. Uh, but I gave them both threes i Mm -hmm. think they both sit at a a three out of five for me one is not better than the other i think they both are just
1: uh they have different values
0: yeah interesting valuable attempts at telling that story and it makes me interested in reading the book to see what maybe has been left out since the remake is relatively close to the original uh so yeah three out of five
2: different better on their own better different ways (laughs) more
0: (laughs) better more better more couldn't have worded it more better myself
2: I got about halfway through the remake, and I was enjoying it. It's different, like you said, but there are parts that really add to it, and I like having a focus, Yeah, and I like learning a little bit more. So I am interested to check the rest of that out. But all right, that's going to wrap it up for the Villages of the Damned. Next up, we got the Dario Argento, produced by Salvatore Argento, (laughs) (laughs) his father. The bird with the crystal plumage this one was one we missed several times and i wish that we would have known what the questions were so we could go back and be like oh yeah
0: yeah this whole movie i was like you know it's a shame i don't remember what i'm supposed to remember from this <laughs> movie for the next time i'm <laughs> kind of glad
1: because i want to say that there's probably at least one question that had to deal with who was the killer at the end and but was who 12. was phone <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and i and like i'm glad that i that i just blanked it out and was, like, surprised by how that went. But I'll, I'll take the lead on this one, because I, I feel like I'm probably going to be very high on this one, and I don't know if everyone else is going to be the same. Yeah, he uh, smoked it.
0: John we, was fucking high. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I've i gone on record that I'm very into uh, Giallo. Can you explain for the audience what a Giallo is? Did you know he made a movie called Giallo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was
2: like, you fucking... Hit the nail on the head with that one,
1: man. But yeah, it's a very specific type of film where people from different nationalities all come together to make a film. And so it's all dubbed over in languages uh, so that way you can enjoy them in your native language. So basically they just do a dub over in English, a dub over in Italian, you know, a dub over in French, you know, wh- whatever. Wherever it's being released, it's released in your language.
0: And the word giallo literally just means yellow in Italian. And so, uh-huh. so there's a lot of lot of common
1: threads that you see in Giallo films, uh, like a really loose, vibrant color of blood, um, black gloves, you know, very like mystery heavy. You don't know who the killer is until the very end type stuff.
2: I think Argento went down as the Italian Hitchcock, right?
1: Essentially, yeah. 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 And this is his first foray into filmmaking, which is pretty remarkable because there are so many staples that he nails right off the rip. That don't have like that you wouldn't expect somebody to be like oh this is their first movie it's it's kind of like how we've gotten to enjoy Eggers or Aster or you know these appeal you know people making great films and having great visual styles and kind of falling into you know a really cinematography heavy film and having a lot of underlying themes and things that will return in future movies and I feel like Argento is definitely guilty of that as he for the majority of his career made things in the giallo style you know you have you know things like suspiria probably being his most recognizable credit uh but this film like it's Did definitely it? not dracula 3d <laughs> yeah
0: it, well i mean very similar to hitchcock in that he had a, a series of a uh, really big hits and then a, a lot of later period movies that people are like uh stay far away
2: yeah yeah like francis ford mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: but of the I do- ford motor company <laughs> Do you want to give a brief description about what this basic plot is? I do, I do want to say real quick that it did blow me away when I found out today that this was his first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree I with what you said. I after Suspiria, honestly. Yeah, because yeah, just with the scope and the way this movie looks, but you can get into, yeah.
1: Essentially, there is a series of murders that um, have slowly started to become connected in a way. And there's this gentleman who is, at least in our take of the film, who's supposed to be from America. And he is living his life in Italy after he witnessed a what is thought to be murder, but ends up not being murder. Um, he's uh, Just he, he's like hell yeah, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna I'm gonna flee this. And uh, they're like, uh, no, we're taking your passport because you might have been a witness to this. Yeah, he but makes a also... guy move, and he dips <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't look suspicious. <laughs> but but uh, you might have actually been the person, so can't let you leave. And then somehow that allows him to be investigator they let him in on basically all of what's going on with this this uh series it's because he's the it's
0: because he's the main hot dude yeah and he needs to be involved in everything yeah he just suddenly becomes which i th- I think is a, a staple of these movies is he's like well i saw the uh the beautiful woman who was in distress and so now i'm obsessed with the case and mm-hmm. also i mean it is established that he is a uh, writer mm-hmm. of this type of stuff so he seems to be drawn to it because he has a fascination with just solving a case and he was just about to leave italy back for america because he had given up on trying to write something there so it makes sense that he's like oh this is you know real life art i mean which is obviously shown through the way that that whole thing is staged with him behind the glass and watching the whole thing happen in an art gallery as if it's some sort of art installation art and,
1: and art and art well and art is the uh, argentoception. <laughs> It's the, uh, it's the big connecting factor for this because they come to find that it has to do with, with specific types of art. And there's an artist who has done this particular painting of a person being stabbed in the snow and that piece of art has kind of followed the case around. So eventually he ends up getting to the point where he meets the artist, and the artist is a fucking weirdo who's uh, breeding cats to eat. Um, <laughs> not, I've never eaten cat. Like, oh, <laughs> so, 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 so you haven't? Or or have you? What I, I thought was really interesting
2: now. <laughs> about the painting that he's looking at with the guy stabbing the girl in the snow is that the guy doing the stabbing wasn't wearing boat shoes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's it's a uh, um, it's a trip. I mean it's a uh, it's one of those things where the giallo is kind of up front and like they have like these you know small cutaways to the killer like fucking with the police and fucking with this fucking with this writer. Um, over the phone and like Yeah you, know, you get the creepy phone calls They're just like I'm watching you Wazowski <laughs> <laughs> Well, And they even make a comment About how the voices are different And that leads them to believe that there's multiple people Involved um, which they Which they do eventually find out that there technically is
0: Yeah you get a little bit of uh, CSI crime scene investigation stuff Here when they start listening to the Phone calls and they find that one of the phone calls Has a distinct sound in the Background mm-hmm. and the whole time I was watching the movie I was like where the fuck are all the birds? Yeah, where are the birds? <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, you know, I could have just gone and watched the birds. Uh, but yeah, we finally get the realization that the bird with the crystal plumage from the title is somehow connected to the murder because the sound of this very very rare bird is in the background of one of the calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's scene. Like, who the fuck knows that?
0: <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh,
1: uh, let's go toe to toe on bird law. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into the ending portions of this movie, uh, spoiler alert, uh, this will ruin the movie. Um, but uh, we get to the end and we find out that the woman who... It was a
0: big... It was the groundskeeper in a big bird costume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, in a big
1: bird costume. <laughs> Can you tell me how to get, how to get yourself murdered? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we find out that the woman in the uh, in the art installation who we thought was originally a victim who'd managed to survive was actually the killer. The entire time and that the person she was attempting to kill in the art installation was her husband who um, had also been helping her with these murders. And that's where the two voices come into play.
2: Was he helping? Because yes. it seemed like at the end he was like, I was trying to, or she said he
1: was trying to stop me. Right. That, and that's the reason why is that they got into the point where she, where he was arguing with her and didn't want her to continue doing mm. it. But so then he hits the button not to trap
2: the main protagonist in, but to trap her in. Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So,
0: uh, really good twist. I like that twist. Um, I, I was like, "What?" Yeah. I mean, it, classic. If you're gonna go uh, help out at an art gallery, you definitely bring your uh, long black coat and your black gloves and <laughs> you know everything. So, but yeah. so
2: then when we get images of the black figure and the black gloves, are we led to believe that it's? The husband
1: or the wife? I think it, I think it's both. It's a, okay, it's, it's both. It's a scream situation. Ah, mm-hmm. yeah, we got two killers. Classic. <laughs> good Spoilers. luck. Getting, say, good, <laughs> good luck catching them killers, eh? <laughs> but yeah, we get to the end, and she kind of like is toying with him in the art gallery. Like she drops this huge installation on him, and then is like. Like Great Clive Barker the, looking and uh, just like insulation. stabbing the ground around his head and like saying you're going to die and like, like fucking with him like playing with her food which is something that you do see in some of Argento's films as far as like the killer being kind of deranged and looking for any reason to kind of prolong the event because that is something that sadistic killers do do is they 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 kind of I knew you were gonna fucking hit that. It's a game. <laughs> yeah, it's a game to them. They're they're trying to draw it out as long as possible because that's how they're getting the satisfaction from it. They uh, do do that. <laughs> <laughs> they do be doing that. <laughs> anyway, last second the police come in and they catch her. And from there, uh, he's allowed to go home, but not without having the, his companion, the person who was with him, having been attacked during the process. And I think this is part of what kind of really blew my mind with this was not just that there was the twist, which worked really well, but there was also the fact that they connected it back to this, to these two people in that originally the, the painting was actually a painting of that man who witnessing the attempted murder of that woman, the woman who ended up being the killer throughout this entire process. And that after blacking the the memory out of her mind, uh, she at random stumbled back upon it because she'd seen, she'd seen the picture. And instead of, instead, instead of, of connecting with the victim, in yeah, the, in the picture. Con- connecting with herself, she connected with the killer instead. And so it kind of changed her psychological make- makeup in a way. And they talk about this all while they're showing scenes of the, of them getting on the plane and like them, you know, looking like they're, you know, like they're in love and, you know, getting over all of this process, but she was a victim. And so it almost paints this picture of of it being something where it could be cyclical, where it could happen again, because we because we now have a man who is in love with a woman and has shown to be obsessive about things. And if she were to have a similar similar instance take place, maybe after, say, someone's written a book about it, about maybe she would then latch onto the killer, the killer psyche and then continue the process in America.
2: I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that this movie kind of double twists you, right? Mm-hmm. Because when he's going to find his girlfriend or whatever, then there's that creepy dude that's sitting there with a knife in his hand. And before that scene, I was like, oh, I fucking knew it was you, dude. <laughs> and, and then, then he just- falls over dead, and I was like, oh, man, I'm dumb. <laughs> I've seen too many movies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I thought that that the ending, at first I thought, okay, this feels very exposition all at once. Where it's like, oh, well, how did the police find me? Oh, uh, your girlfriend let us know. And and then they have to explain the entire thing about the woman. But I really, really loved that concept of tying it back to art. Like Mm -hmm. you said, this entire thing has that through line. And obviously the way this movie is shot, a lot of it is about people looking at things as if they are art, looking at people as if they are art. And um, the husband who's helping with all these murders holds his wife, obviously, to some uh, divine standard or something to where he would kill to help her out, like to yeah. to assist her. And then he ends up taking a uh, pretty intense vertigo-style dip out the window, gets mm-hmm. straight yeeted onto the concrete, uh, which was intense. And that's something that I wanted to ta- push uh, a little bit more is the idea that of Argento being the Italian Hitchcock because there's a lot of comparisons here to the way that Hitchcock puts together a thriller I think the main difference being that Hitchcock for the movies that we typically talk about had quite a bit more experience in actually putting them together so I think in terms of nailing every single stylistic choice uh, Hitchcock obviously does it a little bit better but um, this movie does have a lot more flash and things to really keep you interested that you may not see in a Hitchcock movie. And, the quick and,
1: pans and the quick zooms, you can yeah. definitely tell that there probably was some influence from Hitchcock on Argento's filmmaking. I feel like Argento takes bigger risks. Yeah.
2: So, and a lot of times they pay off, but it doesn't always work. I mean, Suspiria, for example, huge use of color that I don't feel like we get a ton with with Hitchcock. And then in this one, I mean, there's a scene that's very similar to Vertigo with the stairs, Done differently, but this bright white that pulls you in—I love that scene. I was mm. fucking gorgeous. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think that it's it's very interesting to see where he started with kind of the beginning of his career and to see where he would go with things like Suspiria that really take the Hitchcock stuff and boil it way down to its its essence and then add in so much more of the stylistic stuff, like really push the giallo to where every frame of Suspiria you could screenshot and use as like a wallpaper on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I overall, I did enjoy the movie. It was just gorgeous to look at. I would say that it's a kind of a difficult movie to follow the first time around. It did help me to read kind of the plot synopsis after uh so i'm interested to go see it a second time now understanding uh, you know all the connections to the artwork but even the the painting in the movie that she was inspired by i was like that's a dope painting yeah like that was the
1: first thing i was going to say when we finished like the actual discussion of the meat of this movie was that that painting i'd fucking rock that shit over my fireplace
0: so that so that uh one day you'll look at it and go am i the uh am am i I the the murderer am i (laughs) the I
2: like the idea, too, of your own expectations kind of playing with your memory. So obviously in that scene when he saw the husband attacking the wife because of what he assumed was happening, that's what his memory showed him. And then we get these flashbacks of him questioning that throughout the whole thing. Until the very end, when it shows you what was actually going on.
0: Yeah, and I like that he kind of comes to that realization of, "Oh, that is what I saw. Like that is what I remember." And that's very much how memory works, where somebody will be like, "Oh, don't you remember this thing that happened?" And they'll be trying to explain it to you, and it won't trigger with you until something like you smell a certain smell or you see a certain thing, and then suddenly, you're like, "Oh, yeah, totally." Um, well, it's a
1: massive amount of trauma to see something like that, especially if you've never seen anything like and that. And you can't before. do anything about it. Yeah, you can't do anything. It's like, and and you go into shock. So your system does all kinds of things to protect you. It's like it's like you didn't know that, but your brain did. Like, you're, like your brain is like, yeah, this is exactly what you saw, but let's go ahead and pull that back because you're going to literally lose your fucking shit if I show you all of this now. So we're going to hang on to that until you're more prepared for it. It reminds me kind of
2: of all these podcasts, these true crime podcasts that are trying to investigate things like 10 years later mm-hmm. and people have these... Perfect memories of situations. I'm like, bro, you're fucking tripping. I can't remember what I did last
1: week, let alone ten years ago. Well, I already I'm, forgot that we already almost lost the audio to this episode. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in the uh, there's a lot of research uh, about people like you know we've talked about this before, just off mic mm-hmm. about people remembering big things like 9 11 and having completely false memories that they swear are the real thing. And there's been so much more research into how memory works and how fallible it is. And that's why that is probably what I liked the most about this movie is that the whole mystery hinges on the infallibility of memory. Um, and also, like you said, his preconceived notions. Being a, uh, like a crime writer or a murder mystery writer, he would obviously have that kind of preconceived notion just like the audience does watching the movie. So I think it, it's, it works on a lot of different levels, like most of Argento's stuff does. <laughs> well, I, yeah. And
1: I, I think that this movie could almost be more accessible than something like Suspiria because it is 100% grounded in reality. Like, this is all something that one you know could definitely happen. There is, I mean, stuff. Every, like this ev- everybody in happen.
0: Italy speaks uh, with an English accent, an American <laughs> accent, and <laughs> it doesn't quite match up to their face. Yeah. It eats cats. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: yeah. right.
2: So, do we want to rate this bad boy? John, you can go ahead and pick the system for this one.
1: Uh, yeah. So, let's rate this bad boy out of five giant art installations, maybe Clive Barker made to crush you. <laughs> I have glass cases of emotion.
2: (laughs) I'm having a tough one. I'm going to say three and a half. I I enjoyed it. I think, like you were saying, Anthony, it would benefit from a second watch because it is kind of crazy to watch at at first. Um, Even knowing the twist, I think it would still be enjoyable because then you can start to pick stuff out Mm -hmm. but for me i would say three and a half it's gorgeous i mean that alone i think the visuals are a fucking five because that movie was it blew me away it's 10 years after village of the damned and completely fucking different
1: yeah for me i'm gonna say that it is a four and a half i very much enjoyed this i i would say that that it jumped right up there uh alongside suspiri to be my favorite one of my favorite giallo films and i feel like it is a great showing for someone who's there, who it's their first time out.
2: Yeah, and I think, like you said, I would agree that it is probably more accessible than Suspiria.
0: Yeah, yeah. In yeah. terms of
2: straightforward watches, you know? Yeah. Shut <laughs> <up>. <laughs> you got a gobble.
0: You got a gobble. I'm Vincent D'Nafrio. Uh I'm going to give this movie also a three and a half uh, for now. I will say that my main issue with it was totally my fault. I was expecting a lot more uh, to do with plumbers plumbing i, th- I thought that the movie was originally titled ty- ty- i thought it was uh, the broad with the crystal plumage <laughs> and so i was very con- get
1: that asshole bleached you know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> anywho yeah three and a half out of uh, you guys are uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> out of five giant art installations by clive barker that are meant to kill you <laughs> yep meant to crush me daddy
2: All right, well, then let's get to uh, the moment that some people were probably waiting for, and let's talk about that Nightbreed.
1: Everybody take a nice deep sigh. (gasps) There goes the neighborhood. Nightbreed,
2: basic premise. There's a guy, and he's murdering people. There's a
0: guy, Mr. Nightbreed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we are led to believe that the murderer is a dude. That's not the dude. And so he is like, I'm sad. I'm going to Midian, which apparently is like this mystical place. But then later on, it's referenced by everybody. And they know exactly where to go, which I thought was a little bit confusing uh, as far as like the lore behind Midian goes. Anyway, he goes, he dies. He comes back and then tries to prove that he's not a killer. And I yeah. would say, essentially, that's it. There's freaks in Midian.
0: Yeah, to flesh that out just a tiny, tiny bit more. Well, that's it, bro. Uh, main character, who looks like a stretched-out David Boreanaz, uh, is seeing his psychiatrist, who is played by David Cronenberg. If you know anything about David Cronenberg, you will immediately know that he's the bad guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't leave any mystery there, but... Uh, yeah, it tries in the, in a, in the beginning, a little bit to set up some sort of mystery around whether this Midian place exists, even though the first minute of the movie is us seeing all the monsters running around. So we already know. So then we're just waiting for the monsters. Uh, he's talking to his psychiatrist who is obviously a complete piece of shit, but he seems to be doing really well. He's got a job that he can hold down. Uh, he's got a girlfriend. Things seem to be going uphill for him. Uh, David Cronenberg tells him, Hey, there's some murders that are happening around here. We think it's you because I, you confessed when I was hypnotizing you, which would not hold up in court. Yeah. And he is like, okay, well, I didn't murder anybody. So then he goes to, he gets taken to the hospital And he watches the dude cut his fucking face off, which was the only cool part, in my opinion. And uh, then after the dude cuts his fucking face off, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Midian, it's real. You should go there sometime. (laughs) Check it out. So he does. And that's where we get uh, Moonface McGee and uh, Sexy Porcupine Lady. Bl- the blob. I think. Yeah, you were in there. You had a yeah. cameo. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's me. I'm the boy <laughs> <laughs> blob, and maybe vampires. I don't know. Yeah,
0: smoke lady, ghost to Midian. We
1: get you, vape lady,
0: <laughs> ghost to Midian. <laughs> uh, all of the human characters, all the cop characters, are uh, redneck assholes in this movie. So they just show up and blow him away sky high. Uh, we get a really cool design with uh, David Cronenberg's. Yeah. Killer, he's the keys the killer. Decker. Spoiler alert, Decker, which we assumed was a Philip K Dick reference because his name Philip is K. Decker. Philip <laughs> K Decker. Yeah. Uh which is interesting, not 100% sure what the connection there is between Philip K Dick and a serial killing psychiatrist, but it's just an
2: homage to something Barker liked.
0: Yeah, which seems to be just what Barker loves to do and doesn't love to really make it make any sense. But I love
2: this design. Uh, I mean, I, give or take the suit, but the mask, it's like this burlap sack that's very tight with the zipper and the button eyes.
0: Well, it reminded me so much of Killian Murphy's Scarecrow in that he's a oh, psychiatrist totally, who yeah. puts on a mask like that. And uh,
2: And Coraline pieces, too, that I'm sure Gaiman probably pulled from. Yeah, uh, and
0: then Bowie's, um, when he had his button eye thing. Oh, right, Also right, right. Lockstar. Sam from Trick or Treat. Oh, shit, yeah, with the sack. Yeah. yeah. Jason from Friday the 13th, part three. (laughs) Jason puts on the sack mask. Two. Two. Jason puts on the sack mask. Does he have a sack mask in the third one? He does until he gets
1: the hockey mask.
0: Yeah, so shut the fuck up. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so after he gets to Midian, he gets blown away. He got bitten by one of the dude's uh one of the monster dudes so he joins like the a, monster
1: a fucking weird lipstick demon darth maul with bra- with uh, braids yes yeah, <laughs> so
0: then he joins the monster mash to do the graveyard smash and uh, uh literally <laughs> yeah and then basically the psychiatrist dude is like uh i want to kill everybody and then the cops are like we got to blow the place up we got to stop them and then it's a big um kerfuffle it's a big kerfuffle that's a good way to put it uh, a big explodey fight between the redneck people and uh, the equally unlikable rednecks and the uh, unlikable nightbreed characters. So
2: yeah, the main character Boone, you don't really give a shit about too much. I think that his girlfriend was, what, Lori, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought she was more interesting. I would rather have her be the focus. I thought I liked her character and her performance. Boone didn't really do much for me. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, the parts where she gets to uh, explore Midian or whatever, those are the more interesting parts where you just get to see her walking down hallways where weird-ass Clive Barker shit is happening. And I cared more about her character, yeah. But uh, something that I did want to do is I did do a little bit of research into the book that this is based on and what some of the differences between this, the standard cut, and the cabal cut, the director's cut which is mostly stuff in the ending and, and explain some of what happened with this movie. So in the original book, the Boone character, it's left a lot more ambiguous as to whether or not he is insane for quite a bit more of the book. So that Mm -hmm. mystery is actually there, which gets spoiled, which is, which is what makes this so strange too, is that it's Clive Barker adapting his own material. So it it makes you question, you know, how much of this was him just having trouble with the idea of adapting something that's left to the reader's imagination, because Mm -hmm. that's what I've heard is, the main strength of his writing is his ability to build atmosphere and not as much explain what the scary-looking thing is, but make you afraid of it anyway. Um, and the book Cabal that this is based on, I've heard compared to like a mix of Lovecraft and King. Uh, the only problem being that he does sometimes go overboard and just explain gross shit that makes you really uncomfortable. In the movie, you get the revelation that there are monsters right off the bat. It's like here's the monsters. And then in the book, the psychiatrist character is a lot more ambiguous as being the killer because he's this brick shit house psychiatrist guy who is to- seemingly totally on Boone's side the entire time until the revelation that he's the killer. And then he's a lot more imposing when he's revealed to be the, the killer because he's this huge guy. Um, in this, as soon as you see Cronenberg and he starts acting like a fucking freak, then you know that he's the bad guy. You even have Boone running away from him in the hospital like, I don't want to be around this guy. <laughs> Um, I thought Cronenberg so, did a great job. Yeah, being sinister, yeah. But I just think that the, what this movie lacks entirely is any sort of subtlety. Um, because any any message that it was trying to send or any, like, hidden plot lines that should have been revealed all get just... The load gets busted right at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then you're been all... there. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get so much of these creatures where you can tell that he had an idea in his head and just could not figure out a way to execute it in a way that maintained the creepiness that he wrote in the book. And uh, the studio also had a huge amount of interfer- interference in the movie. They want they changed the ending completely, so the theatrical release had an, a completely different ending. Um, they told him that even though Hellraiser was successful, he could not do too much gore in the movie. It had to maintain an R rating. Um, which even this felt really light for an R rating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, yeah, it was just a lot of uh, rushing to get certain things done and changing things in and out and, and messing with stuff to the point where I can see obviously that it didn't turn out the way that Barker probably intended it to. Um, I
2: heard that there's like 13 versions of the cabal cut. Like well, it keeps getting cut, but
0: that's when, yeah. you then you get to the ball, the ball cut, you to the, the old, ball cut. You nope. <laughs> the old uh, uh, cabal cut. Uh, and in that version, There aren't a ton of differences except a mass overhaul of the ending. And outside of that, it's still not a great movie. And so it makes me, everybody thought, I think, oh, this is going to redeem the movie. And yeah, it brought interest back to Nightbreed after such a long time of it having just been considered a bomb. Because it really bombed, it didn't even make its money back when it came out. So it revitalized that interest probably for a crowd that at the time was young enough for this to be a nostalgic movie. Some of the creature effects are cool, but a lot of them are just distracting. And it seems like a lot of wasted work. Like, you have all of these incredible creatures that we see on screen for
1: five seconds. Only to have them killed by sheriffs later down the line?
0: Yeah, and then you have us try to establish that the night that the Nightbreed are like the good guys. They're the ones you're supposed to empathize with. But then when it comes time to... Fight back because in the book I guess originally they just dip and try to leave and escape and they get chased and attacked and so that's why they're they're more empathetic is that they're not trying to fight back they're just trying to exist in this they're like no and start shoving fucking spikes in people's eyes and seem to be getting off on it which is a very Barker thing. And so then you're like, I'm not rooting for anybody that's getting killed right now. Like, I don't care about any of these characters. None of the Nightbreed characters are like any of the characters in like Labyrinth or anything where you're like, yeah, you're a fucking goofball weirdo, but I like you. <laughs> you know, and this is what it felt like is like he was trying to do, especially with all of the map paintings, uh, you know, that graveyard that's totally there. It's totally that big old graveyard right there. And you're just staring <laughs> at a painting. It's charming, but it doesn't really seem to fit his style I think he works a lot better on a much
1: smaller contained sort of story while we're on the negative train and speaking of things that do not fit this movie Danny Elfman's score fucking sticks out like a sore thumb
2: especially during that fucking sex scene or whatever that was I was like what is happening right now
0: yeah go back to being in the oogie loves (laughs) Danny Elfman
1: (laughs) yeah I just feel like it like while the score is good it just doesn't match any of the tone of the movie because the movie is very self serious for the majority of it. Well, Danny Elfman score is typically pretty whimsical. Yeah, and there are some whimsical moments of this movie, but for the most part, like they're like they do very serious things, and we'll jump into some of those things when things uh when we talk about some of the things that we liked about the movie, because there is a specific scene that I'm thinking of that's a very serious in tone that actually I feel like has some connection back to a movie that another movie that we watched for this episode, Village of the Damned. But I do feel like that whimsy is is not nearly enough to justify having Danny Elfman make the entire score for this film because it's not like I said it's not like he writes bad music, it's just it is so tonally against uh, what this film represents. Yeah, well, I should have had Tangerine kind of, Dream do
2: it. I don't feel like there is really a good tone for this movie because it doesn't it doesn't really know what it wants to I, be. I definitely wasn't a good tone for this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do think that I mean I thought the effects were great. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes is distracting, but they were beautiful. And the guy that skinned his face, that effect looked great, even though he ended up being this kind of goofball. But it reminded me a lot of martyrs, for obvious reasons. And I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I think that that's probably the biggest part for me was some of the creature designs. Not all of them, because some of the moon guy I thought was fucking awful. Robbie,
1: uh,
0: is it Robbie Rotten from from Lazy Town? <laughs> yeah. What about uh, what about uh, finger chins? The lady that just had fingers on her chin. <laughs>
2: And I thought that Decker's design is fantastic. I mean, that's probably the biggest iconic thing from this movie is Decker. Yeah, and that's the
1: the, doesn't the uh, the main character from the Collector series, and he also kind of look like that. Oh yeah, he totally
0: does. And I just watched those movies. That's a good comparison. Yeah, I always thought this was a completely different kind of movie because of his character. I thought he was from something completely different. But yeah, this I couldn't tell what this was trying to be. Like if it was trying to be whimsical some of the time because a lot of the delivery from the characters, like I referenced earlier, like "There goes the neighborhood." Like you just have these characters saying the corniest, dorkiest shit. And so I was like, are they supposed to be lovable monsters? Or are they supposed to be scary? Yeah, throughout the entire thing, I was like, I don't really know what tone you're trying to go for. Am I supposed to take this seriously? And then, yeah, the music. Am I supposed to be seeing this as like a crazy wonderland? Or, (laughs) yeah, what exactly is going on? And then the Nightbreed, the way this was marketed, obviously, too. uh, Near Dark Mm -hmm. was the example. The comparison was that it feels very of that time. And I was like, well, I would have enjoyed some Bill Paxton (laughs) in this movie. That would have given it an extra point.
2: This movie also shines in, I guess, the the metaphor or the commentary that it's trying to produce because, obviously, Barker is homosexual, right? And I think that that's kind of what this movie is trying to represent is that there are these people, these others, and there's these rednecks, and they're wanting to destroy these other people because they're different for no reason, really. The monsters aren't doing anything that we know of, really. Yeah, and they... They're they, just different.
0: Yeah, and they go in with no qualms about killing children like the entire group of the monsters because they they look different.
2: Right. And so I think that this underground society is supposed to kind of represent that idea, especially at the time when this movie came out. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's not great now, but it's, it was worse in the nineties. Well, know?
0: and the tidbit that ties directly into that. And I'm glad you brought that up is that the priest character who they try to get to come in to help them with the nightbreed situation uh, in the movie, his whole like hidden thing is that he's an alcoholic Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to hide that secret in the book. It, he's hiding that he is transsexual or that he's a transvestite and that he um, can't stop wearing women's underwear under his priest garb. And so that's obviously and he's the character who it ends up becoming one of the night breed or whatever. And so that theme that you were saying, I think, is right on the money of what, yeah. of what Barker was trying to write about. And um, that I, I do think is really strong. And that's partially, though, why I wished that the narrative was just more structurally simplistic and a little bit more, it had had a little bit more work put into it. If it was going to have a message like that, I wanted it to not feel so disjointed so that that message carried through all the way.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. One of the scenes that I felt was most impactful was the scene where they're saying, Hey, you know, like everybody, you know, says that we're, we're the monsters, but you know, we try to be part of society and then, you know, we're murdered for it. And then you have that flashback scene where it cuts through basically them getting walked through all of these different wars that were that while we were led to believe are one thing are are shown as the monsters being, being defeated, you know, basically by being beheaded by, you know, regular people being shot, you know, being, you know, killed in all these various ways. Like I said, that was where I got the connection to to village of the damned because it's similar way, you know, these kids are different. They're being killed by the people who, uh, who fear it and who, you know, don't, uh, who see these other people as a higher being. And because they can't have it, they have to kill what they can't, what they can't have. And that like that there was a a through line there for me that I, I didn't expect to have from something as pedigree as, as village of the dam to something as low on the totem pole as Nightbreed. Uh, But I thought that that scene was done very well and was very impactful. And then follow that up with the, with the scene of them dragging that guy out of the, out of the crypt in, in Midian and then just like kicking him until he explodes from, from the sun and like even the one person you would expect to jump in and stop them uh, stepping away and letting them just finish what they you know, their redneck bullshit. It's, it's fear of the other. It's yeah. my
0: favorite line from Batman Begins. You only fear what you don't understand. Mm-hmm.
2: Other than that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love this movie, but I also didn't watch it when I was younger. And a lot of the people that I know that love this movie watched it earlier on. And so I think it has some nostalgia to it. And I think that that's part of where the love for this movie comes from.
0: Yeah, because I've heard even from some of our friends on the Instagram, and I don't want to shame anybody's with their of their opinion, so I'll leave them unnamed, but they were telling me like, oh, you didn't like it? Well, it's just one of those movies where you kind of have to ignore the plot. And, just, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that is something that you can do very easily when you're a child because you don't give a shit about the plot. And there are plenty of movies I've watched as an adult where I was like, I did not even remotely understand this movie. So I think, yeah, a lot of it is kids seeing this and one, it has the charm of having practical makeup effects that would remind kids of like Labyrinth or Dark Crystal. Um, And it's edgy, which if you're a kid having an edgy thing that also has like puppet type stuff in it and has this magical world, it scratches an itch for a lot of kids who are looking for that type of. Escapism, And I think, yeah, I missed out on almost pretty much all of Clive Barker's stuff as a kid. So I don't have that nostalgic attachment. And unfortunately, you get a lot of people like Stephen King who have tried their hand at directing and it's gone absolutely terribly miserably. So I think that a lot of time writers feel like maybe their talents will translate well to directing. And then they potentially find out that it's a completely different ballgame. Some do, though. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and I would say that it's more it's more often that a good director is able to find themselves the ability to write something really well. But I'm sure there, I'm sure the other has been proven as well that there are some writers who, uh, you know, after watching their, their works be adapted, have picked up enough flair and enough panache for the, for the medium that they can flex into that territory and do a really great job.
0: Yeah. And I don't think this is terribly directed. I think it's just competently directed Clive. Well, I don't think he's, I don't know what he's working on now, but uh, Clive just remember two heads are better than one when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I think he would agree, based on his monster creations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do we want to... Any, any other comments on this? I had originally planned to come in with scathing. hot, scathing, volcanic, uh, pyroclastic flow uh, about this movie, but after doing a bit more research and finding out how much of this really got messed around with, and, and any movie that's going to go through like 18 iterations of a director's cut or whatever... Uh, you know, you know it's the same blade. It's Blade Runner. You know there are people who absolutely love Blade Runner, and there are people who absolutely despise Blade Runner. And
1: depends on what cut and depends on what cut you and watched,
0: cut you watched yeah. and when you
1: watched it. Yeah, and, I, I I will one hundred percent say that I was in that camp. I, uh, having watched the original theatrical cut, I I thought I hated Blade Runner for years.
0: Well, and then did we all watch the same cut of Nightbreed? I assume we probably did. Whatever I watched, Shudder. yep,
1: same <laughs> one I watched. Yeah, yeah,
0: because in the original version, No Face Peely dude uh uh, no face peely he uh he gets uh jordan peele i was i was
1: was trying i was trying so fucking hard to figure out how i could stretch the rubber band (laughs) to put that operation together and fuck if you beat me to it yeah
0: his character is um He's either not killed or he is killed, and they change the whole ending to where then uh, the resurrected priest character, I think, like uses the blood of Baphomet to bring Cronenberg's character back to life, and the last scene is him going, like, ah, and coming back to life at the camera. <laughs> yeah, and then this version, the director's cut, has him come back to life after the fact. Um, so there was an idea, I guess, for this to be more of a, and this feels at the end very, like, it's not sequel-baity, but like, hey, there's more if you want it yeah and i guess there was never more <laughs>
1: <laughs> never more to quote the raven
0: yeah
2: <laughs> let's rate this bad boy you want to pick uh this time
0: yeah let's uh let's rate this out of five moon face dudes i knew you were oh. gonna go moon face dudes
2: <laughs> If we're talking about moon face dudes <laughs> i would say no, no would...
0: let's do this out of five sexy porcupine ladies oh a sexy
2: porcupine i was like should i be turned on
0: no, no, no. The answer is no. That's, and that, that's the thing is I was like watching this. And I was like, does Clive Barker think that porcupines are sexy? I don't, I've ne- i never looked at a porcupine and been like, man, I wish that thing had titties.
1: A hedgehog, however, though, still no.
0: <laughs> that was like the original version of Sonic. And, and they were like, oh, God, you've got to redesign that. you got to redesign that. I think they should redesign this and put that
1: Sonic in it. Yeah. With the fucking human teeth. Ooh. 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 Anyway,
2: so for me, I would say probably a three at, at best. I think that the effects were great. I love practical stuff. I've said it on the show more than once, um, and they did a great job. They don't really do a ton for the movie, but I liked looking at them. I thought Decker's design was fantastic, and we see the ripples of that, kind of like what you were talking about with the ripples from Village of the Damned. And I also like the message although not executed great that Barker was trying to put into this movie. And I think that because of that, it succeeds really well in that regard.
1: Cool. 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 So for me, I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five, uh, Robbie rotten from lazy towns. Um, and that's, <laughs> uh, st- strictly for all of the same reasons that you listed the underlying subtext. If you are able to find it is, is rewarding and the creature design and the practical effects are for the most part, pretty excellent.
0: John, you fucked it up. You're bit. JB gives NB an NB for not bad. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah. Um, I land squarely in the same spot as JB over here. Two and a half sexy porcupine ladies and gross moon men uh, for me. And the two and a half comes strictly out of an A for effort. I do think that. The <laughs> two like, and a
1: half came right out of an A.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Like you said, uh, and not like anything John said, this <laughs> this movie, <laughs> it tries. It tries. It, there's a lot of effort that went into the creature effects. The idea is really, really uh, big in scope. There's a lot that could have been done right with this, and it just wasn't executed in any way that I found uh, even remotely fascinating outside of just a few cool creature effects and some pretty matte paintings. Was um, <laughs> those also done by David Fincher? I, I, I hope so.
1: <laughs> yeah. That firmly places this into the uh, the Ewok lexicon, making it part of the legends of oh Star God. Wars. Oh, God. Some of those creature designs, though, straight out of the cantina.
0: That's Yes, exactly. I was going to say that the creatures were just uh, like hand-me-down cantina monsters. They really were. Like there was just some p- do it Elfman-style.
1: <clears throat> I, I don't know how I would <laughs> do
0: that. It would be like,
1: uh-uh. <laughs> but imagine that my yeah. voice
0: was a little girl's voice. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I do that every episode.
0: <laughs> You're starting to sound like Tiny Tim now. <laughs> I mean, it's time to move it. on. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that wraps it up for our main discussion and our first trivia redemption look
1: forward to more of these in the future yes
2: because we still get questions wrong on the raid do you
0: guys feel that you've been cleansed of your trivia sins i feel good about it a little bit yeah
2: i mean i'm glad i i finally sat down and watched nightbreed that could have been one on my horror misses honestly because it is something that i have been pushed to watch for years and never got around to it and i also like to see more of these like big names, like seeing more of what Clive Barker's done. You know, and I think he has one other movie that he's directed um, that I would be interested to check out
0: Midnight Meat Train.
2: <laughs> and that's not it. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm glad I loved Village of the Dam. So this, for me, was a success.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm always looking to educate myself even better, especially now that I've been losing trivia four weeks in a row i'm really looking to apparently having seen 842 movies didn't do jack shit for
1: me <laughs> i think i think it's a, a case that you shouldn't have gone over 800 if you'd have left it at 799 you wouldn't have overloaded your your brain you should have watched 666 and called it a day his his never gonna get laid power
0: it's over 800 <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh did you think it was successful for you oh absolutely yeah i like i said i did it get you off it got me off oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I had seen Nightbreed a couple weeks before we decided to do the episode, so I was glad that rather than uh, building it up as this huge tirade I was going to go on, I had a little bit more time to let it sink in and to do some research on it. So I had come a little bit more composed. You let it sink in um, on the floor? Yeah, Village of the Damned was one that I just honestly, it had always, both versions had always, always been on my list of need to see this. It's a classic horror movie. Um, and then with the other one we talked about. Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Tr- the, the, the the Broad with the Crystal Plumage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was one where I was just like, God damn it, if we get that on another trivia and I don't get the answer, I'm going to be, a disc- uh, once again, a disgrace to my family and I, to my whole country. I
2: guess the real test will be when these questions come up and we still get them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what,
1: what the fuck is a nightbreed? <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I loved being able to go back and revi- revisit these uh, these shameful misses in that territory. And I think that, especially with Bird of the Crystal Plumage, like I have something that, that I'll go back and watch and have some... You know, have some interesting discussions about in the future with y'all. Toads. Perfect. Well, that's now that's officially the end of the main discussion. So we'll go ahead and move into our final kizut.
2: For our final cut this week and for subsequent weeks, we are going to be discussing george rr R. martin <laughs> no no,
1: no, no. no. I'm sorry
2: J. R. R. tolkien no 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 no, no, no. george J.
1: b <laughs> <laughs> george george ernest power. p yeah, say power tools Ge- Whirl? Yeah, i was gonna say george power tools romero <laughs>
2: yeah we're gonna be talking about george romero the godfather of the i guess modern zombie movement
0: the progenitor if you will let's say uh Hundred dollar word take that to the bank yes so um, in this first installment of the final cut we are going to I think briefly just go over his early life early career um, and then get a little bit into maybe the production of his first film um, night of the living dead which we have talked about before both on our patreon bonus episode top five zombie films at length and then touched on briefly for its significance to uh, black history and movie history last week Uh, so we thought, why not just talk a little bit more about the man, the myth, the legend. Um, so I guess I can go ahead and launch us off into some early life of George B. R. R. Tolkien Romero. Romero.
2: For the record, the A is for Andrew.
0: Nice. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so Romero was born in New York City, borough of the Bronx. Of course he was. Uh, The son of Ann Dorfsky and George Romero, a commercial artist. Um, Lots of these uh, directors coming from artist backgrounds, which is always nice to hear. Uh, His mother was Lithuanian, and his father moved from Spain to Cuba. Uh, Raised in the Bronx, he would frequently ride the subway into Manhattan to rent film reels to view at his house. Um, It says here he was one of only two people to have reportedly rented the opera-based film The Tales of Hoffman, the other person being the future director Martin Scorsese. (laughs)
2: damn i mean that's pretty dope yeah
0: i actually always get them confused they look because so, they and, look and, like and the it, same person yeah now. Like, <laughs> like
1: later in life like with the with the big big gla- glasses, big glasses and, and the silver hair absolutely that's one silver foxes big
0: ass glasses
1: <laughs> yeah He's, his face was mostly glasses
0: yeah that's very true um romero attended attended carnegie mellon university in pittsburgh so carnegie mellon sounds like he was a smarty pants Um, After graduating college in 1960, Romero began his career shooting short films and TV commercials. Uh, I thought this was funny. One of his early commercial films was a segment for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, in which Fred Rogers underwent a tonsillectomy.
2: That's so weird.
0: So, I mean, a lot of kids were afraid of getting their tonsils removed when they were youngins. That was a real, real real-life horror story, so (laughs) getting, getting his break there. I still have mine. Your your tonsils? Yeah.
1: There you go. Interesting fact. There you go. Yep, I still have mine as well.
0: I I went in and got all my insides removed. (laughs) (laughs) Just a shell of a boy. Yep. (laughs) At that point, uh, Romero was working with nine of his friends, including screenwriter John A. Russo, where they formed Image 10 Productions in 1960. And this is the production company that would produce Night of the Living Dead, uh, directed by Romero and written by John Russo. Now, John Russo was the person that we talked about During our Return of the Living Dead episode, because he is the man who then went on to basically own the rights to the of the living dead um, title and was the one who went on to do uh, Return of the Living Dead because he owned the rights to that series of words. Um, But, yeah, they originally. (laughs) Yeah. Weird, right? It's so silly. Yeah, and then, um, obviously, then we get into uh, Night of the Living Dead, which uh, is a cult classic and, obviously, like we said, defined a very pivotal moment in horror.
2: Yeah, this is where the zombie genre switched from something like White Zombie, where you have the Haitian zombies, kind of that origin story, into the more, like, mindless ghoul zombies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Romero said that among his inspirations for filmmaking – The British film Tales of Hoffman, which is the one that we had referenced that he had rented. Um, It was the filmmaking, the fantasy, the fact that it was a fantasy, and it had a few frightening sort of bizarre things in it. It was everything. It was really a movie for me, and it gave me an early appreciation for the power of visual media, the fact that you could experiment with it. He was doing all his tricks in camera, and they were sort of obvious. That made it feel like, gee, maybe I could figure this medium out. It was transparent, but it worked. Uh, Romero and Russo decided that they finally wanted to make a feature film movie um, and they decided on horror I think just because a lot of people at the time were interested in horror horror it was uh, of commercial interest um, and then they ended up uh, actually basing the original story off of Richard Matheson's I am legend oh nice um, which I know is something that gets your Jimmy gibbling yeah yeah. <laughs> Uh, principal photography took place between June and December of 1967, pr- uh, primarily on location in Evans City. Aside from the Image 10 team themselves, the cast and crew consisted of their friends and relatives, local stage and amateur actors, and residents from the area. Although the film was his directorial debut, Romero utilized many of his guerrilla filmmaking techniques he had honed in his commercial work, which I think you can see 100% in that movie. It's very much... if It has that charming student film feel to it while also being... A, a fucking classic
2: yeah and and similar to like with village of the damned you just get thrown in there's not any rhyme or reason to the zombie <laughs> outbreak really i think there's a maybe a news report about a satellite falling or some shit some cloverfield shit yeah and then it just goes and mm-hmm. you're just watching it unfold similar to like with village of the damned where it's just like here's the basic idea go to romero's success there's a lot more of character development and somebody to latch on to
0: yeah and we talked about how there's a lot of social um, undertones to this movie. I watched an interview between uh, Guillermo del Toro and Romero. It looked like only shortly before he passed, where he talked about his early life and career. And he said that he, at least at the point of this interview, said that he was very aware of the fact that he was, casting a black man in the lead role and that when he went into doing that movie and then his future movies he was very aware of the fact that there was a lot of violence going on between races in the news and so as much as we've heard things about him you know blind casting it sounds like from his own mouth at least later on in life he did admit to intentionally having put more of that social commentary in. And that, again, doesn't surprise me knowing what he would go on to do with the rest of his career. But, uh, yeah, with this, for something very, very simple, I think it tells a very strong story and then obviously has uh, spindrels to, um, (laughs) you know, an entire history now up up through The Walking Dead and Zack Snyder's new zombie thing, Mm -hmm. you know, that are all directly – from that and when you listen to interviews where people say you know you invented the zombie genre basically he even toward to the end was super humble about it he was always like well i don't know about that you know i just took some ideas that uh, people kind of had going around already and just put them together into it. i don't know why i'm giving him this accent if he's from the bronx but like oh i <laughs> went i just ran down and put them zombies <laughs> out there and said you eat that, that chocolate covered they got, beef they got
2: zombies over there over here <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, but he was always, always humble about being like a pioneer, even though he very much was mm-hmm. of, absolutely. of the biggest genre really in horror now. Um, and so he's a master and, and I think it'll be really exciting for us to move into some of his later work. I, the, part of the reason that I wanted to do this was because I recently saw like two nights ago Martin for the first time and absolutely adored it uh, for a lot of reasons and am excited to go back and watch Dawn of the Dead. Maybe even watch the remake just to kind of see, since we were talking about Zack Snyder.
1: Yeah, and that'll obviously be stuff that we'll probably talk at. You know, as we typically do, kind of like at the end of of his career and the end mm-hmm. of his life, because uh, we did sadly lose him a few years ago. Um, but it is something where we'll probably talk more in depth about, you know, remakes of his films and kind of, you know, how he how he perceived those things because he uh, he is on record of ta- having talked about several of the remakes of his films. He even has comments on The Walking Dead which I'll be interested to hear about. I did want to talk about the reception of the film when it was released because it was very controversial. It was something where it predated the like the actual rating system that exists now, you know, where you had very specific age ranges that things were shooting for and that certain things would get you from one territory to another. Their basic concept of how that worked in that era was here is here's the movie, it's either good for all audiences or it's not and most of that was to do with nudity because there really hadn't been a movie that had displayed gore on that level of like people actually you know being cannibalized and that sort of a thing so you know there there were a lot of early reviewers out who who were very against the film because you know it was audiences full of children especially it was released around the holiday season so there were a lot of a lot of people who would just walk their kids in and drop a a bunch of kids off to to watch night of the living dead who were you probably way too young to see the movie and on top of that you take them to a movie where the hero dies pretty tragically at the end it, whoa like,
0: spoilers so I, what i find kind of strange about this is i'm like what kind of parents were taking their kids <laughs> to a movie
1: bro i worked at for a theater the you'd be dead. fucking surprised it's yeah. not
0: like it was like sisterhood of the shambling pants <laughs>
1: But I do, like I said, I do think that that pretty good. because Thanks. of because of that, it was given kind of a bad rap, and I think that it, it like I said, like I said,
0: <laughs> zombies, they walk around zombies.
1: Cookies. Okay, very very bad rap. But <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, think that's that, what it suggests for. But I do think that that I mean, it was reevaluated. Like a lot of movies that we consider to be classics now. Um, later down the line, you know, after being released to home video and more people getting opportunities to see it in, in more recent theatrical releases and with him coming out with, you know, other films that kind of pop, like, because they knew what they were expecting, you know, there was a lot more, a lot more at play. Um, Well, I think it would be a much different
0: story if he hadn't gone on to also be successful with things like Dawn of the Dead, which really exploded the genre out. I think if Night of the Living Dead had been the only one that existed and was like a one time that kind of zombie thing, it may not have gotten to the point that we're at now. But that's just uh, that's just a testament to Romero as a director that he's able to pivot to such a different feeling movie like Dawn um and still make a highly influential successful zombie film that makes people go back and reassess that original one and see how much of a simple classic it is um but i even for me when i was a kid i didn't want to go back and watch the black and white one i wanted to watch dawn or day you know where the zombies were gross and because in the original they're just people in makeup you know and the, mm-hmm. the the, the gore black the shadow
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, so then I would say, like, the the last couple of notable movies from his early career, you already mentioned Martin. Um, another couple from this early period would be Season of the Witch, not to be confused with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, um, which I thought was a fucking trip and was my first foray into not zombie Romero yeah mm-hmm. um, I would suggest it it's fucking weird and it's an experience <laughs> that's how um, I felt
0: about Martin too is I was like this is very strange getting into <laughs> Romero there's only one Martin, yeah. Martin. <laughs> uh, that's how I felt very much uh, about that where I, I was thinking okay it's nice to get away from the zombies and he makes a really weird trippy interesting movie when he's not doing zombies I mean when he is doing zombies too but right. you know it's nice to see him out of that wheelhouse mm-hmm.
2: yeah and then the last one I think that we will mention for this early part of his career is the crazies which was influential, obviously, for the crazies. Yeah, yeah, it was.
1: It was something that, again, uh, wasn't given a lot of love on on like first impressions, but was reevaluated and it's kind of also been given that cult status to the point, like like you said, where it was also given a remake in the two thousands.
0: Well, and I think the original and the remake are like equally beloved by a lot of people. I haven't seen either, so I'll probably actually end up checking them out for next, week. you know, because of this, yeah. so that I could comment on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so then next week what we'll do with the final cut is dive into Romero's return to the zombie genre. Not return to the living dead, yeah. <laughs> but return to the living dead. You want to get sued? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that is going to wrap it up for our episode this week. We hope that you enjoyed this. If you have opinions about any of those three movies or about that news or how you feel about Romero, then please hit us up on our social media. Next week, join us. We're going to be talking about the gory, horror esque, Power Rangers esque movie <laughs> called Psycho Goreman. So, if you have not seen this, please check it out. I'm fucking super excited to check you it psyched? out. You psyched? I'm Psych Doad Gored Man. <laughs> <laughs> But that will wrap it up. So, again, thank you for listening. And thanks again, Jeff Rogers, for becoming our newest patron. I have
0: been Tone. I've been John. And I've been Old Man Jenkins in a Big Bird costume (laughs) the whole time. You meddling kids. (laughs) Internet darling, Anthony. See you next week. Keep it creepy.
1: For exclusive episodes, early access, merchandise, and to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash porcelainpeak. Thanks to all our patrons for the support and special thanks to producers Chloe and Chuck. You can find Porcelain Peak on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe so you never miss a thrill. Special thanks to Roger Jackson for introducing the show, and to Randy Rear for composing the Porson Peak intro song. All episodes and additional content is written, produced, designed, and edited by the Porson Peak team, consisting of Anthony Perez, John Brasher, and Anthony Silva.
2: This has been here for fair weirdos world